shit 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 show it's a fucking shit show shit show welcome back to shit show saturday sits all saturday folks how are we doing today's episode is a recording from a recent shit show support group this is my online community for adult children of dysfunctional families where we put the fun in dysfunctional. Now, if you were looking for a place to feel seen, heard, and understood like never before, then look no further than the shit show. If you are looking for a place where you can get real-time support and feedback from those who know exactly how you feel, then look no further than the shit show. If you are looking for a place where you can show up as your shit show self and be unconditionally loved, supported and accepted, then look no further than a shit show. If you are looking for a place where you can find others who are committed to doing this difficult and at times extremely painful work of unshackling ourselves from the wounds of our past and becoming our true and best selves, then look no further than the shit show. If you are looking for a place where people embrace calling themselves recovering shit shows and enjoy cursing and can find the humor in this big old mess that we're dealing with here, then look no further than the shit show. See the link in the show notes to damn the join shit show. Come on, we're waiting for you. We are waiting for you. Damn the join shit show. Also, please give me a little follow on the Insta, on the TikTok, at Adult Child Pod. And last but not least, and as always, give me a damn five-star rating on Apple, on Spotify. Thank you. Love you all. They say that I should damn the joint shit show. They say that that's where people go to heal. They say that I'll feel seen and heard Like I have never felt before So I'm going to damn the joint right now Okay, let me pull up this bad boy. It was very relevant for me. Letting go of guilt. There's a good trick that people in dysfunctional relationships use, said one recovering woman. The other person does something inappropriate or wrong and then stands there until you feel guilty and end up apologizing. It's imperative that we stop feeling so guilty. Much of the time, the things we feel guilty about are not our issues. Another person behaves inappropriately or in some way violates our boundaries. We challenge the behavior and the person gets angry and defensive and then we feel guilty. Guilt can prevent us from setting the boundaries that would be in our best interests and in other people's best interests. Guilt can stop us from taking healthy care of ourselves. We don't have to let ourselves count on the fact that we'll always feel guilty. We don't have to allow ourselves to be controlled by guilt, earned or unearned. We can break through the barrier of guilt that holds us back from self-care. Push, push harder. We're not at fault, crazy or wrong. We have a right to set boundaries and to insist on appropriate treatment. We can separate another's issues from our issues and let the person experience the consequences of his or her own behavior, including guilt. We can trust ourselves to know when our boundaries are being violated. Today, I will let go of my big and little guilty feelings. Light and love are on my side. 
I was remembering this Instagram reel, like TikTok video reel that I made probably a little over a year ago. And it was about how uh, false responsibility during childhood leads to toxic guilt in adulthood and how, you know, growing up in alcoholic and dysfunctional families, we are often made to feel whether directly or indirectly, you know, responsible for uh, our parents' mistreatment of us or responsible for our parents' needs and emotions or responsible for the, um, you know, whatever the chaos and dysfunction is going on in our home. And what happens is that this false this false responsibility placed upon us, you know, leads us to feel guilty for shit we didn't do or feel guilty when we haven't done anything wrong. Um, <laughs> so as I've been sharing about my like saga with setting these boundaries with my parents and, and hopefully, you know, cutting off these, um, these financial handcuffs, um, I, um, I shared that I, and I don't know who was in the meeting or not, but I shared that last week I had a very direct conversation with my mom and just said like, listen, I'm done. Like the gig's up. You're not going to treat me this way anymore. I'm not going to be scapegoated anymore. And she was like really receptive to that um, in the sense that she didn't like push back at all. And, you know, and, she, and said she was sorry. And so, um, and so since then she's reached out, you know, like several times, you know, like saying, uh, I'm like, I apologize. Can I please come over and apologize to you in person? And, you know, I, I don't respond. And, uh, and then I don't, you know, then I didn't respond again. And then she like sends another one, like, I'm so sorry, like, please let us know. And so then I just like responded, like, she kept coming. And then I was just like, I'm not ignoring you. I said, I'm taking some time to collect my thoughts and my feelings and to take care of myself. And she's like, okay, I love you. I'm here for you if you want to talk. And then, then yesterday it was like, text like can I come over I'm worried about you like I think you need your mom right now like another call another call a voicemail a voicemail and um and then I just said I am okay I have asked and I wrote this when I was on the phone with my therapist I was like I'm okay I love you like I have asked for space thank you for honoring that I wanted to say uh please respect this boundary but my therapist told me to write thank you for honoring that as if <laughs> she's gonna like abide by it and then see what happens um and so then again call 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 I'm worried sick about you can you please let me know that you're okay um and then so then I I called her back and I said and, and I said listen I said I'm okay I asked for space and you're not respecting my boundary please leave me alone and she said okay and so who knows what's gonna happen there but it's like okay, you can like, just like treat me like shit, verbally abuse me, gaslight me, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm, you know, I'm, it's, it's all of the, it's the impulsivity. Um, it's like the codependency crazy. I mean, it just makes me think about like when I wanted to like hear from a guy and like all of the shit that I'll like throw out there to like, try to get some sort of a response back. But the fact of the matter is like, I do, like, I feel guilty. I don't feel guilty for setting the boundary. I feel guilty that she's like worried about me. Right. And, um, and that's not, 
my guilt. Like that's not the guilt that I deserve to have. And it's like, of course I do because her fucking alcoholism and her life and all of the chaos and dysfunction that was going on in my home was placed on me. Like as my problem, as me to be like the bearer of this as like a fucking seven-year-old girl, you know? So of course I feel this way. And so just, just working through that, I wanted to share some questions that I found on a, in an article. Um, and it was asking you if you'd like, want to think about like, if you're experiencing unnecessary or toxic guilt, um, it says, you know, what do you feel guilty about? What does this guilt prevent you from doing? Setting boundaries, practicing self-care, speaking up for yourself, feeling good about yourself. How does this negatively impact you? Um, guilt is based on a belief that you're doing something wrong. What specifically do you think you're doing wrong? Um, now determine whether or not this is appropriate guilt. You actually did something wrong or inappropriate guilt based on unrealistic expectations, distorted thoughts, other people's ideas about how you should behave. Um, how do others expect you to behave in this situation? Do you agree with these expectations? How do you think that you should act in this situation? Who gets to decide what's right for you? What will happen if you aren't perfect or don't live up to your expectations? How can you modify your expectations so they reflect what's truly important to you? Um, do you recognize any distorted thoughts fueling your guilt? What are they? Um, do you think it would be wrong for a friend to do whatever you feel guilty about? Why or why not? Huh. So, um, floor is open. You can share about whatever the hell you want to share about. I was really super impressed with the, um, the interview this week, because to make a long story short, my brother drowned the Friday before Memorial day. And my brother was an alcoholic and he was a world famous sailboat racer at a really high level. And basically unemployable. He was working on this boat. It was going to go on the Transpac, which is a race from Long Beach to Hawaii. And um, he was going to spend the night on the boat. He went to get on the boat and um, he was really drunk and he fell in the water and couldn't lift himself up onto the boat or the dock and drowned. And he was 60 years old and I'm 62. So we've been 61 in November. And um, the night he drowned, we didn't know if it was really him. So, you know, I had to call my, my niece called me. I had to call my family and I called my sister and she just said, are you telling me that my brother died? And we're all, we're in the first family. And then we have two um, sisters of the same age as my kids. But um, my brother and sister and I are the first family. And I'm like, I don't know, Liz. We just don't really know what happened yet. And um, the conversation digressed to well, you know, I was so much closer to him than you were. You know, I was just so upset and every, everything. And I remember I threw my cell phone. I was on my back deck. I threw my cell phone like onto the like, walkway. I, I, I just screamed. He was my brother too. And I just screamed and threw the phone. And in that moment, I realized that I'm not going to be able to handle my grief and her anger at the same time. So I'm taking a break. And then I called my son and, you know, cause every time my sister gets mad at me, she gets on the phone to all my relatives and my parents and everybody about this horrible person that I am. And I said to my son, I'm going to fucking lose it. And he goes, 
no one ever believes her anyways, mom, just let it go, this, that, and the other. And when I heard the recording today, it totally, or yesterday, or today, anyways, it totally described what I go through. And the thing is, is, is what my sister did was she waited like three weeks or so because I was being punished. She wasn't talking to me. She thought, you want me to pick you up some coffee beans in Grass Valley? No, thank you. Do you want me to do this? No, thank you. You know, anything to bait me into some sort of a conversation so that she can draw me in and say, somehow I've been inappropriate in some way. And um, I didn't talk to her for a few months. And then um, she went down um, to get my brother's things in this place called Ramona or Pomona or something like that down in Southern California. And she came back and she said, can you come over here and go through Michael's things? And I'm like, okay. I mean, you just drove nine hours there and nine hours back. Are you sure you're in the space to do this? I go to her house. You know, are you sure you want to do this, Liz? Um, are you, you know, sure that all the stuff is my niece is going to get first rights of refusal on everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden she says, you know, we have to stop skirting around issues. I'm like, skirting around issues? Because my sister will never talk about anything real. And I go, I won't, I can not skirt around issues, but are you sure? And she's like, yeah, you know, blah, 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 blah. And she laid into me like there was no tomorrow. And I took it and I took it and I just stood, I, I just kind of stood there and I stood my ground and I just, um, you see, you're, you're, you're being codependent on me. I go, no, I'm not. I'm holding you accountable. What was the sentence that you said? Why are you blaming me for that? I have a 401k. You're mad about that. You don't, you married somebody that was a disaster. That's how somehow my fault, you know, I mean, it went on and on and on. And finally I lost it. And I said, cause she didn't treat my brother very well. She was, you know, the person who kind of bailed him out and stuff like that. So she always called him brother, brother, unpack my car, brother, I got groceries, brother, you know, go down, do this. And I called him Michael, you know, I mean, and he just took it. And I finally turned around and I said, you know what, Liz, you treated Michael like a dog. You treat him like a dog you didn't like. And I'm just freaking done. And I drove around the corner and I couldn't even drive. I was so upset. And, you know, the pattern of trying to come back in and making you feel guilty, trying to make you feel guilty because they're so concerned. I call BS on that. I, I think it's that they can't handle somebody taking space, not, not BS to you, but just when, when it happens to me, I call BS on it because it's not like they're concerned. They just can't handle the space. My sister will do shit to me, yell at me and then call me and say, are you mad at me? You know, knowing full well. And, um, the one thing that I, another thing that I got out of that was, you know, I miss having a relationship with a, my sister. I don't miss my sister at all. I haven't talked to her since October. I don't know if I'll ever talk to her again. I've been going back for more for like 15 years. Her personality changed into my mother. And, but I cannot tell you how that record, that interview, it was just the way, maybe it was so fresh in the woman's mind that this had just happened to her, but it was just like, oh, that's exactly what that is. That's exactly what that is. That's exactly what that is. And, you know, I've been tortured by this 
experience for years, you know, and I really miss my brother and I do miss having a sister, but you know, like they say, change only happens when staying the same is more uncomfortable than changing, staying the same in that relationship with somebody who's going to scream, yell and rant and rave at me every time they feel uncomfortable is not worth having a sister who supposedly loves me so much, you know? And I know she does it her own way, and I know she's in a bad place. Whatever, whatever her stuff is, she, you know, everybody has responsibility to get better and not torture other people. But anyways, thanks for letting me share for so long. I appreciate it. Hey, everyone. My cat is playing in the trash, so I'm sorry if you hear a lot of background noise. Yeah, guilt. The, like, when you, when you were reading something about, like, they get angry and defensive, and then you get the guilt hit. Like, so... I, my parents, my biological parents got divorced when I was six months old. They were both remarried by the time that I was four. And I primarily grew up with my mom and my stepdad, who are both uh, workaholics and alcoholics. And uh, my bio dad, who I, who I call fun uncle dad, um, is, an, is an adult child and has a gambling addiction. So we're a fun bunch. Um, and my mom, uh, actually got esophagus cancer from drinking and died. Um, it'll be 10 years ago in September. And, um, after like I got engaged in August, she died in September. I got married in November. It was like really, really quick. And I was also the executor of her estate. Um, so it was a really wild time. And, um, when I was getting married, like a week before my wedding, my grandmother called me and was, and I wasn't planning to have anybody walk me down the aisle because I have these two dads that hate each other. Um, but my grandmother called me and was like, Marley, you really need to have your bio dad walk you down the aisle because he's going to flip out and you don't need that right now. And so out of like, total confusion because I was in grief and love at the same exact time. Like I just, to honor her was like, fine, he can walk me down the aisle. I don't care. And after that, my stepdad just kind of fell off and he was really the dude that raised me, like really was the most like a real parent, the three of them. And he just kind of fell off. And then this last year, you know, I would like text him and give him updates about my kids and try to call him and he wouldn't call me back. And after eight years this year, I like was in a major crisis um, with one of my kids and I really needed help. And I emailed all my family members and he called me and he told me that the reason why he doesn't talk to me is because I'm disgusting because I had my biological father walk me down the aisle. And I immediately started apologizing. Like immediately. And I was really calm and I was saying shit like, listen, I'm not a crazy teenager anymore. I'm 41. Like I've changed. You don't even talk to like just doing all this shit while he is just like angry and vitriolic and nasty. And on top of that, this is the man who I caught cheating on my mother 
and he forced my hand to tell her when I was in my 20s. Like, disgusting? Anyway, I'm actually glad that he finally told me why he doesn't talk to me and that I have enough of a backbone to be like, I'm, I'm good. I rescind my ask for help. And in fact, I'm not even going to tell you we are not talking anymore. Like, <laughs> you think we're taking a break like that was said earlier? No, 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 no. Like, we're done. So, yeah, no more of this, like, unnecessary bullshit guilt that people put on me. I'm so over it. He did me a favor. So that's it. That's all I got. Thank you. So much of this is just, I'm feeling it so, so, so deep. And I want to thank you all for your, what you said tonight. And I, it's just so beautiful because it's why we're here. And I just am reminded that there was never any true safety that I was always wanting simply to be safe. And I thought I could do that by matching the emotional energy, by being the counterbalance to the emotional energy, by uplifting when they're down, by celebrating when they're up, by not sharing my uh, good stuff, because don't I know that everything just comes to me and I don't have to work for anything, but my sister has to work hard for everything. And that's why we celebrate her achievements because she actually works hard and you just don't, it just comes to you. And, you know, really petty, messed up stuff. And I recall like what came to mind was about boundaries. And if you do that, they'll flip out. Oh, honey, they go flip out anyway. They will find a way, a reason to get that out somehow. My grandma who raised me was always saying to me, baby, just get to where you can breathe your own air. And my grandfather would say, it is what it is. And, and I'm so they're sitting with me tonight and they passed on. And part of the reason why I left California was so I could actually grieve without being judged upon my process of it. Because don't I know, and, and just how our families handle death. Well, I had a really deep relationship with them and, and, and I can let all that go. Like I have, I've done the work around that and, and now they're attempting to mess with my grandmother's wishes for what she wanted to have passed on to me. And my dad's already made it clear that he's going to take as much of it as he can, according to the state. And it's ridiculous. And do I care? Not enough to give them the feed that they live off of, which is my emotional dysregulation period. If they can get tears out of me, if they can get me upset, if they can make me happy or sad, oh my God, sucking it all up. And, um, and I feel like I, I want to have a battle cry for the healing scapegoats, but it has to be one of the scary goat memes, not like a baba, but like one of those, 
and you like really horrendous shrieking goat noises and our shirts have to have a microchip so that when people say what's a scapegoat you just play that screaming noise because it's that primal like can they just stop and no they can't no they cannot i had a slip up today of having in the back of my mind how my dad's going to try and mess with me. And I'm updating him on something with the dog that I inherited from my grandmother. It was our agreement that I would take her dog if, if the dog outlived her and the dog has some health stuff. And it turns out that my husband and I were right all along. He's, I don't want to get too into the weeds about it, but essentially there's probably going to be CT scans. There's probably going to be surgeries on both ears. We are probably going to be making the dog deaf to save him from chronically living in a state of constant infection. And we're perfectly happy having a deaf dog. Like that's not a problem. But for some reason, when relaying this information to him, I was telling him what it's going to cost as if me telling my dad what money we're going to put toward this animal is going to keep him from trying to shaft me out of some money. Oh, give it up, girlfriend. Ain't going to do a damn thing. Stepmama's going to be like, oh, well, then you shouldn't have said yes to the dog while she looted the whole house. Just wild turkey call, goat scream. And I'm so grateful for your faces and I'm so grateful for your laughter because damn, this shit is hard and it's why we're here. So, um, so grateful for you. So grateful for you. And yeah, rage against the freaking machine, Scott, 100% rage against it and scream into a pillow and get a wild goat shirt and buy the merch. Cause dang it. We all got to show up with our t-shirts on one night. So guilt. I, I can relate to all the shares tonight. Um, and as you know, I'm new here, so I'm setting my timer cause I might feel guilty if I talk too long. Um, so a year ago, last September, before I was in recovery, before I had even found a therapist, um, in my province, in my new home province, um, my sister-in-law tried to commit suicide. Now, I live in this province and I don't speak French. So um, my sister-in-law who is fluent in English and has a lot of common interests with me was my, basically my sole, friend you know I moved here during the pandemic it was hard to meet people I live in Frenchville really hard to meet people um and I look for deeper connections and I'm also a super avoidant so you know there's that too um but I relied on her for a lot of stuff and when she tried to commit suicide it was obviously very very difficult and I did my best um Now, what I see is enabling friend role and, uh, you know, managed the family for her and took care of the medicals, a lot of the medical stuff, um, and did the best I could. And then when she came out of the hospital after being in a coma for six days, um, 
she did two therapist appointments and then said that her therapist told her she was cured and that she didn't need therapy. And as much as I disagreed with that, I just kept my mouth shut, you know, just kept, kept on being a friend. And then the dysfunction started showing up and, you know, I had found a therapist and found some plant-based medicine that worked for me and found ACA. And I started looking at um, what was real and um, she started to pull things like trying to put me between, um, you know, triangulating my husband and, and her and, and me. And it was just, it just became so toxic and just so unbearable for me. And so one day I kicked her out of my house and I said, don't come back. And she showed up 20 minutes later with some stuff for me. And I said, look, you should take this back. I don't want it. I don't know when I'm going to see you again, you know? And um, I didn't talk to her for like six months after that. And then in November, I started getting, you know, she sent me an email saying, can I talk to you? And she sent me a very passive aggressive manipulative email that didn't even make sense. Um, and then two days later, I got a something in the mail and then it was just like contact after contact. And I'm like, like, I know what you're doing. Like, I know what you're doing. You're manipulating me. Right. And you know, the whole time, like every so often I think about this and I think, well, what, because, because I'm in ACA and because I'm following the program and because it's, it's very, very important to me, my recovery. Sometimes I revisit it and I think, what could I have done differently? What was my part? What did, what do I own in this situation? And there are things that I could have done differently when I was friends with Marie. There are things, but I didn't know them at the time. And so I can give myself self-compassion and I can say, it's okay, Carrie, you didn't know these things. Um, and, and can I be friends with her? I mean, she's my husband's sister. So obviously at some point we're going to have to cross paths, you know? Um, but the fact is, and my husband, by the way, agrees with me with this whole thing. He had to break contact with her as well, go no contact with her. But um, the fact is that th that she is not in my life, the fact that she is not in my life has allowed me to heal with so much more clarity and so much more um, at such a faster pace. And I, and I know that you know, the isolation is temporary. I know that I'm going to have to go back there, but I, right now I need to build the tools and I need to take a deep breath and I need to just learn to rely on myself so that when I do go back into that world of family dysfunction, and that's just, we're just talking about my husband's family. We're not even talking about my family yet, but you know, when I do go back into that world, then my legs are strong and I can stand on my own two feet and I will not feel guilty about these things, because I have to come first. I have to come first. And I pass. Oh, I've been so engrossed in your comments. I didn't realize that the hour had passed. 
so I'll try to be quick. Um, one thing th that's come to mind based on your shares is in high school, I became what I call a tragedy junkie. And in high school and then into my adult life, I remember reading every single thing I could find about the Holocaust and particularly about the torture, the medical experiments. Um, I read everything I could find about the treatment of Native Americans as simply um, regarded as objects that could be haunted or shot or killed. And then later on, I found the, there's a, I think it's even a genre of um, autobiographical books about children who have been extremely, extraordinarily abused like sleeping underneath a chicken coop every night or sleeping in a box under a bed or severe beatings. And it's doing this work that I've come to realize this is I always felt that I had nothing in my experience or life that warranted me feeling bad about what happened to me. And that the reading I was doing I didn't know it until I started doing this work, but the reading that I was doing was filling a need, which is that I don't deserve compassion or self-care because somewhere on this planet, someone has had it worse than me. So therefore, I should continue to put up with it. Um, I've, uh, again, and I'll, and I'll keep sharing as we go, this work has been so monumentally revealing to me. And the thing that I have promised myself and I do all the time is I honor those feelings and those awarenesses and I build them into my daily life and my daily practice. Whatever has happened to us that has led us to a place where we do not value ourselves. We do not see our worth in the world. We can't express pain when we feel it. We can't express joy when we feel it. All those things, that's, that's the, the guilt trip that we've been given. That's the guilt trip. And when I, as I did, or if you compare what's happened to you that somebody else has had it worse, well, somewhere in the universe, there's some scale or measure where some alien or something is measuring our grief and comparing it. But in this world, in this world, your pain is your pain. Your grief is your grief. Your abuse is your abuse. And it's unique to you and your experience and need not be weighed. Because when you wait, when I, well, I'm saying you, but I'm talking about myself. When I weighed my abuse against something else, I was betraying myself. I was not caring for myself. Once again, this place has been remarkable for me. I've come so far. I am a grateful person. The, the, the enthusiasm that comes from me is... I've lived 74 years of utter 
utter dark misery, self-hatred, accepting anything, any abuse, any mistreatment, anything that came my way, and I took it as my own, my fault. Mm -mm, it's not yours. Yeah, you're doing the good work here. Somebody, I hate, somebody fucked up your childhood. And so you're now owning that and saying, no more, I'm an adult now, I can take care of myself. You all have shown me what it's like to be vulnerable, to be human, and to not go away and feel guilty about it. I love you all. I love being here. I'm Andrea, I'm so glad to see you back. This is a good spot, you guys. Easter is just around the corner, and what better way to celebrate the spring season than with a Minky Couture blanket? Whether you're gathering with family for an Easter egg hunt or just enjoying a quiet day at home, Minky blankets are the perfect addition to your Easter festivities. Made with ultra-soft and luxurious materials, these blankets will keep you cozy and comfortable, while their stylish designs will add a touch of spring to your day. And with a wide range of colors and patterns to choose from, there is a Minky blanket for everyone. So this Easter, make your day even brighter with a Minky Couture blanket. Head to MinkyCouture.com now and find your perfect blanket just in time for Easter. Happy Easter from Minky Couture.